Well, we're in the Advent season, and the word Advent literally means arrival or coming. And so during Advent, what Christians do is we look back to the time where Jesus arrived the first time, and then we look forward to when Jesus will come again. So we look back and we look forward to Christ's coming. And each week of Advent, we're looking at a different theme out of the book of Isaiah, like I said. And uh, last week, the theme we looked at was the theme of hope out of Isaiah chapter 2. And this week, the theme we're going to look at is the theme of peace. We're going to look at peace. Now, <clears throat> peace is perhaps the most prominent theme of Advent. I mean, imagine, think about it. The first, uh, the first message that God gave to the world that Jesus was coming was that night to the shepherds. You remember the angels appeared to the shepherds and they sang a song to the shepherds there on the hilltops in the evening. And what was the first words out of their mouths? The angels sang, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. This is in some ways the main basic message of Advent. It's a message of peace. A peace is a main theme of Advent. And you might have one of those wreaths that has the angel with the trumpet. Anybody have one of those at home? Uh, that's a couple. No, nobody. Um, <laughs> that's all about peace. And peace is a major theme at this time of year. But peace, uh, not only is it the most uh, prominent theme of Advent, but it's also perhaps one of the most elusive themes of Advent. Peace in our world is incredibly elusive. Uh, the other morning, my, my kids had uh, taken out an old uh, album out of our garage, and um, it was, they do this quite often, but they brought it out and they, they put it on their little CD player uh, in their bedroom. And out of the bedroom came lyrics from an old song I hadn't heard it since we were first married. And I'm going to read you the lyrics. You can tell me if you know the artist. No, I've been happy lately, thinking about the good things to come. And I believe it could be something good has begun. I've been smiling lately, dreaming about the world as one. And I believe it could be something good is bound to come. Should I sing it? Maybe this would be better. For out on the edge of darkness. Anybody? There runs a peace train. Peace train, take this country. Come take me home again. Blaring out of my, of my kid's bedroom. Anybody know the artist? Cat Stevens. Cat Stevens, yes. Awesome. It's a song about peace, and yet he, even in this very song, he, he hints to the elusive nature of it. Because in the final stanza, what does he say? He says, I've been crying lately, thinking about the world as it is. And then he strums his guitar. Right? This, this peace, and yet it's elusive. Uh, another one of my favorite songs is a song by U2 called Peace on Earth. And uh, U2 wrote this song after a bombing in Ireland, a bombing in Northern Ireland that killed many, many people. Uh, wrote it in the year 2000, and it took on brand new meaning right after uh, the bombing of the World Trade Center on 9-11. And the song begins like this. It says, heaven on earth, we need it now. I'm sick of all this hanging around. Sick of sorrow, I'm sick of the pain. I'm sick of hearing again and again that there's going to be peace on earth. So he's singing about peace, and yet he's talking about in our world, it's elusive. And it's sort of jarring to talk about peace on earth when you live in a world of violence and fracture and destruction, isn't it? Uh, one of my favorite uh, Christmas carols is one called, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. 
And uh, this was a, a Christmas carol written by uh, Henry Wadsworth, a famous poet. It was written way back in uh, 1863. And there's a story behind it. Apparently, uh, Henry Wadsworth's wife was uh, killed in a fire, a house fire. And she literally died in his arms. And then two years later, uh, it was Christmas morning. Henry Wadsworth had just gone to visit his son who was wounded. He had visited his son in, in the hospital who was wounded in the Civil War. And he was paralyzed. Henry Wadsworth goes back to his house. And he's sitting there on Christmas morning. And he hears the bells on Christmas morning. And he begins to pen this, this little poem, which was later turned into a Christmas carol. And here's what he writes. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And so maybe you're sensing the dissonance like these authors did. Maybe you're sensing the, the, uh, just the, uh, the jarring nature of talking about peace on earth in a world that is fractured the way it is. And maybe you're, you're seeing that on a national scale. You know, we just went through a very vicious elective election cycle. You know, and maybe you're seeing the, uh, the, uh, the fracture between races and social classes. Or maybe you're seeing it on a personal level. You've been involved in relational fracture at work, you know, or, or maybe in your home. And to think about peace on earth just seems rather jarring uh, this morning to you. And what do we do with the dissonance? I mean, what do we do with this? I mean, how, how, do, we, I mean, how do we even understand peace on earth in a world like ours? How do we apply it to our lives? I mean, how does it come? And those are the questions we're going to look at this morning in Isaiah 11. Because Isaiah 11 presents us with a, a vision of peace. And he gives this vision of peace to a group of people whose world was just as fractured as ours. This vision of peace would have seemed just as elusive to the people in Isaiah's day as it does in our day. Because the people in Isaiah's day, they were experiencing, there was a, a fracture in the nation. They lived in a divided kingdom. Uh, exile loomed on the horizon. Uh, there were uh, enemies, national enemies, threatening their borders. And then Isaiah comes with this beautiful picture of peace. And in this picture, I think we see a description of what we're really talking about when we, when we talk about peace on earth. And as we go through it, I want us to see three things. Three things that I think will help us experience peace a little bit more in our own lives and in our own world. Uh, number one, I want us to see the picture of peace. Isaiah gives us a picture of what we're actually talking about when we say the word peace. Second of all, he talks about the prerequisite of peace, and I'll talk about what I mean by that when I get there. And then finally, he's going to show us uh, how we practice it. And the way we're going to look at the passage is we're going to look at it backwards. I'm going to start in the middle, and we're going to work our way back, okay, as we look at these three things. And so first... Uh, let's get into the passage and look at the picture of peace that Isaiah gives us. And we're going to begin in verse 6. Isaiah's v uh, vision begins by saying that he sa this. He says, A wolf shall lie down with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. 
The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the, uh, with the, like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth is, shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." And then verse 10, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And so first, Isaiah gives us a vivid picture of peace. Now we read through it and we see, I mean, these are famous words, probably all of them have heard the words, the lion laying down with the lamb. You know, both the ox and the cow are both... uh, uh, they're both um, vegetarians, you know, grazing in the grass. Here you have little children sitting by the hole of the asp or the snake, and my little kids do that normally. Um, but the, in the future, they're not going to be hurt by it. And a little child will, will lead them. I mean, it's just a beautiful image. It's a memorable image. It's a famous, famous image. But what exactly is Isaiah talking about here? Um, there was actually a famous painting uh, painted of this particular scene. It's going to come up on the screen. It was, written, it was uh, painted by uh, Edward Hicks, and it's called The Peaceable Kingdom. And you look at that there. I mean, Edward Hicks was a Quaker, and Quakers are all about peace, and so he loved this image. And you see there uh, children playing with wild animals and wild, an- wild animals playing together. And look, even that Indian's hanging out with the pilgrims. I mean, this is a beautiful picture of peace, isn't it? And yet, what exactly is Isaiah talking about? I mean, what are we supposed to envision? What does it mean? And what Isaiah is getting at here is is, is an idea that is incredibly important in the ancient Hebrew scriptures. And it's the idea of shalom. Can we all say that? Shalom. Shalom. Boy, that was good. Now, I've talked about shalom here, but this morning I want to just dive down deep into this theme because it's hugely important. Um, Some people might say that this idea of shalom is the foundation of the whole Hebrew Bible. I mean, it is huge, it is cosmic, it's incredibly important. And so what is this idea of shalom? Well, literally the word shalom means peace, and that's the, the image that Isaiah is painting here. It's an image of peace. But when you think about peace, don't just think about a ceasefire between enemies. Um, Don't just think about, you know, peace of mind, psychological well-being. Think about something incredibly cosmic. Think about the nature of creation. Because when God created the world, God created the world to be a fabric. You know, there was a lot of ancient stories about creation, and some of them the world was, was started with a violent sort of fight. There's another story about how in pagan cultures, about how a god vomited and there was the world. But in the Hebrew Bible, the, the world was created to be a fabric. And that's the way the Old Testament describes creation. In the Psalms, it talks about the stars and the moon and the earth itself as being a beautiful, a beautiful fabric. And when you think about a fabric, what is a fabric? A fabric is not just, you know, a bunch of yarn thrown on the floor on top of one another. You know, if I had a bunch of spools of yarn and I undid them and threw them on the ground here and they were all laying on the, on the floor, that wouldn't be a fabric. A fabric is when you take the yarn and you weave it together. 
uh, fabric is when the yarn is, is put over and under and through and interweaved together. This is a fabric, and the tighter the fabric is, is interwoven, the tighter the fabric is interdependent, the stronger it is and the more beautiful it is and the warmer it is. You know, recently my wife has taken up knitting, and I see her with the fabric. You know, it starts out, and she has all these colors and all this yarn, and she carefully weaves it together over and under and through, and it takes forever. But when it's all done, it's beautiful, and it's marvelous. And this is the way the Bible describes creation. Everything is woven together. Think about the world. The world is made up of billions of entities. But don't just think of them as an aggregation all out there. Think of all these entities interwoven and interconnected and interdependent. And there you're getting close to the idea of what shalom is. Shalom is the way the world should be. Shalom is the way that God created the world in the first place. It is a world where everything is connected. Humans are connected to God in a dependent relationship. And humans are connected to creation in an interchangeable, uh, interdependent, woven-together relationship. And we're connected to ourselves that way. And And we're connected to one another that way. So unity between humans and God, humans and one another, humans and themselves, and humans and creation. All together, this is shalom. And when you think about shalom, I want to just give you a few different examples. So uh, you think about a human body. A human body is a bunch of in, you know, entities in your, in your body that are interrelated and interwoven. Right? All of your systems, all of your organs are interwoven and interdependent together. But if you have cancer... You know, something stops uh, connecting with something else, and what happens? There's unraveling of physical shalom, and and death is the ultimate unraveling of physical shalom. Or you think about psychological well-being. You know, with psychological well-being, you have all these sort of internal emotions. You've got your reason and your emotions, and they're all supposed to weave together and be interdependent. But then when your desires conflict with something that that you know is right, then suddenly there's guilt. And what happens? There's unraveling of emotional shalom. And you emotionally begin to fall apart. And it's the same way with relationships. We need each other in a million different ways. And when there's hostility, when there's relational brokenness, there's an unraveling of relational shalom. And what the Bible says is in the beginning when God created the world, all of these essential relationships were in harmony. They were a fabric. Let me, let me give you a quote. Uh, maybe this would be better if I... If I uh, this is uh, Neil Plantinga, who describes shalom this way. He says, shalom is, and then he says it here, the webbing together of God, humans, and all of creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight in what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible... Shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. And that's the way it was until sin entered into the picture. And then there was a vandalism of shalom. When you think about sin, it not only ruptures your relationship with God, sin ruptures every relationship in the world. And when sin entered into the picture, there was a small tear in the fabric of creation. And the world slowly began to unravel. 
and you see things like poverty and injustice. You see things like the sex trade and world hunger. You see things like Justin Bieber and Katy Perry. Right? The world isn't the way it should be. You see, our relationship with God is ruptured, and suddenly everything else begins to fracture and fall apart. There is a vandalism of shalom. As C.S. Lewis says, the good world has become marred. But here's the image of the future. One day God's going to come back and he's going to bring shalom again. God is going to weave the world together again. He's going to mend the fabric. He's going to bring the world back into interwoven harmony. And there's going to be peace. And this is the picture that Isaiah gives us. Notice it's, it's a piece of everything. This is cosmic. This is not just peace with you and God. This is, this is social justice. This is uh, the world as it should be. This is uh, g- humans in harmony with the ecological order and humans in harmony with one another and humans in harmony with God. This is shalom. This is what God's going to do in the, in the end. He's going to heal the fabric. He's going to make everything right. And this is a picture that Isaiah gives us. Now, if you're, if you're not a Christian, I want to point out that isn't this a, maybe you're here and maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're peeking your fence over the, you're peeking your nose over the fence into Christianity. Or maybe you're coming back after being gone for a long time. And you're wondering if you could actually believe this stuff again. Can I actually believe what the Bible says is true? Well, think about, doesn't this make sense of your longings? When you look at the world, I mean, this is Cat Stevens. This is his problem. He's seeing the world as it is, and what is he saying? This is not the way it's supposed to be. And when you think about a world the way it should be, isn't isn't this your deepest longing? The Bible says one day God's going to do this. And if you're unhappy with the world, it's because the world as it is is not normal. (laughs) This is not normal what we see. The natural world is not natural. It's broken. The world is not the way it should be. And yet one day God's going to mend the fabric. He's going to heal the world. He's going to make the world so that it fits what our visions are of what it should be. This is shalom. And this is what the Bible gives us. It's huge. It's cosmic. It's beautiful. Isaiah talks about this all the way through. As you go through Isaiah, I mean, he talks about the lion laying down with the lamb and this cosmic shalom and this world put back together and he talks about it over and over and over again but let me move on to the second point which is what is the prerequisite of this peace i mean the world isn't as it should be the world isn't the way it's supposed to be why not and what needs to happen so that we can get it that way this is what what isaiah talks about he talks about the prerequisite of peace what needs to come before peace? Now, if you, if you go to college, or maybe you just got out of college, any, any college students here? One. Um, you understand prerequisites. I'll just look at you, Cody. You understand prerequisites. Because what, if, you, if you're a medical student, and maybe you want to major in medicine, uh, you want to get into those classes where you're dissecting you know, bodies and things like, do you do that in college? Maybe not. Um, but you're dissecting things. Before you get into that class, there needs to be a prerequisite. You need to take a lot of things that are, you know, basic math maybe is where you start, and then biology, and then, uh, you know, all these other things. There are things you need to take before you get there. 
And what Isaiah is saying, before we get this peace, something else needs to happen first. And what is that? Well, notice Isaiah starts his vision of peace in the second half of the chapter. And in the first half of the chapter, he talks about the rule of the Messiah. This passage is basically about two things, peace and the rule of the Messiah. And what is Isaiah saying? He's saying, look, if we're ever going to get shalom, if the world is ever going to be put back together again, it's got to come back under the rule of God through his Messiah. Jesus' rule and reign is the prerequisite, is the necessary condition of shalom. Let's read about it in the first part. We're going to go back to the beginning. Notice he begins by saying, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the fruit of the Lord shall rest upon him, or the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes on what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And so Isaiah says, look, I want to begin by talking about the rule of the Messiah. He begins by saying that there shall come forth a root from the stump of Jesse. Now, Jesse uh, was, the, was the father of David. And you remember, David was Israel's ideal king. And for Israel, uh, their shalom, the peace of their nation, was always bound up in the leader. Uh, they were always looking for an ideal leader who would bring shalom and flourishing to their nation. And they thought it was King David. And indeed, King David was a wonderful ruler. But his rule was always incomplete. And it was short-lived because after David died, the kingdom fell apart. And so the Davidic dynasty had failed. The the one ruler who was supposed to bring peace didn't quite bring it. But Isaiah says, don't worry, because there's coming a shoot from the stump of Jesse. There's coming a Messiah. There's coming one greater than David, a cosmic ruler, a world ruler, who will come into this world and rule it in such a way that things are going to ultimately flourish. And he's going to bring peace that's bigger than just national. He's going to bring peace, like we were just talking about, on a cosmic scale. Peace comes as a result of the rule of King Jesus. Now, we know this on a basic level. You know, if you're involved in leading business, you know that often businesses that are languishing, they will flourish if a new leader comes in. You think about it, excellent managers can take over an unprofitable business or a losing sports franchise and through their leadership skills can turn everything around. Under new competent authority, morale builds, the conflicts end, the team gels, vision is recaptured, and everyone thrives. This is just a dim hint of what happens under the absolute reign of the true and living God. All things reach their potential and flourish in perfect harmony. So in other words, just as when a good leader or CEO comes into a business and the business flourishes, or think about a good wise parent, when a good wise parent rules the house, the family flourishes, 
when our ultimate ruler comes into the world, the world will blossom again. And under the reign of King Jesus, shalom covers the earth, and the world is made right. Isaiah says, what is the prerequisite of this rule? We're not going to bring it in ourselves. None of us can bring peace on our own. Peace will not come until Jesus rules. The reign and authority of Christ results in shalom. Do we want the, the world to be healed? Well, Jesus needs to rule first. And isn't this what, what's wrong with the world in the first place? I mean, when sin enters the world, what is basically happening? Adam and Eve are looking at God, and they're saying, God, you will not rule over us. We will do what we want, when we want, how we want to do it. And they shirk under God's good authority, and they go off on their own, and the world begins to fall apart. And it's not until we come back under the reign of King Jesus that our lives and our world and our nation will experience peace. Shalom comes as a result of Jesus' good rule. What does Jesus bring? What does Jesus' good rule bring? I want you to look in the passage, and I want you to notice three things that Jesus brings that leads to peace. The first thing that Jesus brings with his rule that leads to peace is wisdom. Now notice the Messiah, the stump from the shoot of Jesse, comes in, and, and, he, and he's filled with the Spirit, and he rules the world. And it says in verse 2, that the, the, that the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and the delight, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall judge what, he, what his eyes see and decide disputes for what his ears hear. The first thing Jesus, when he rules, brings is wisdom. He rules with wisdom, and under his wise rule, the world sees shalom. Now think about it. One of the main reasons why we experience fracture in our world is because of a lack of wisdom. You know, the other day, my, my son, he was getting out of the bathtub, and he was all sopping wet, and what I do is I put the little uh, towel around him, and then they, they leave the bathroom. Well, the other night when he got out of the bath, there was a fire in the fireplace, and so he wanted to get out there and dance naked in front of the fireplace, which is what my kids do. It's a normal night at the Swanson house. So he's all excited, he's dripping wet, he's got the, the towel around his body, and he starts running to the fireplace. And I said, stop, don't run. You see, we have hardwood floors. And wet feet and hardwood floors equals unraveling of shalom. So off he goes running, and sure enough, he slips on the ground, he goes sliding across the floor, and slams into the wall. Now Luke didn't just disobey my rule, I mean, he did that but he shouldn't have done that. It was unwise to do that. My rules were wise, and wisdom leads to shalom. And if you disobey dad, it's unraveling of shalom, it's painful bottoms, you know, whacking the floor, it's terrible. And one of the reasons why our world is falling apart is because we're not under the wise rule of God. God's rules are wisdom, and what is wisdom? Wisdom is living life skillfully. It's living with the grain of creation. And when you shirk his authority and you leave his rule, you leave wisdom, and unwisdom leads to unraveling of shalom. So Christ comes again in the end, and what does he bring in with his rule? He brings wisdom. 
And as people obey his advice, his wisdom, his rules, the world begins to work because that's the way it works. He not only brings wisdom with his rule, notice he also brings judgment of evil. In verse 4 it says, uh, but with righteousness he, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity, equity the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now notice that with his rule he also brings the judgment of evil. And listen, this needs to happen before shalom ever comes back. Shalom and evil cannot coexist. Shalom and wickedness never go together. And you will never experience, and the world will never experience God's shalom until evil is eradicated. Now when Christ comes back to rule, it says that he comes to the earth, he sets up his kingdom, and evil is almost shoved out like garbage. (laughs) Evil is put out. Evil is shoved out of God's world. And what happens? Peace results. And we will not experience God's peace until he comes to rule with judgment. When I was younger, uh, I was hit in the mouth with a surfboard. I know that sounded totally jarring to say that right now. But I was hit in the mouth with a, with a surfboard. And uh, it split my lip open. And all these little splinters of fiberglass got into my lip. And then my lip healed up. They sewed it up. My lip healed. But then my, my lip was never able fully to heal because what happened? Little pieces of fiberglass. This is disgusting. I'm sorry. Little pieces of fiberglass inched their way to the surface of my lip. And every year for about five years, the doctor had to go in and pull out the little pieces. It's because healing never happens when those little shards of fiberglass are still in my mouth. If you want real, true healing, you've got to take the the junk out. You know, have you ever had like a little uh, uh, splinter that stays in your skin? And it heals over, but it's not healed. And there's a piece that we can sort of manufacture that that sort of glosses over evil and injustice. A piece that we could manufacture in a marriage or in a country or in the world that glosses over evil. But for real shalom to happen, evil must be eradicated. Somebody's phone is going off. You've got to expel the wickedness. You've got to get rid of the injustice. And one day King Jesus will come back to his world and expel the evil. And then there will be peace. Finally, I want you to see that the king brings humility. He brings peace by bringing humility. Now, you can't really see that in this passage, but this shoot of Jesse, this ruler who will come with wisdom and judgment, is a ruler who's incredibly humble. And as you go through the book of Isaiah, the root or the shoot of Jesse is also called a suffering servant. And this ruler will come on the scene And he will begin to suffer under the weight of the evil in the world. And of course, this is describing exactly what happened to Jesus. Jesus came as a ruler, but it's a ruler that, like the world, has never seen before. He's a humble king. 
He's a king who comes into the world not to dominate, but in order to serve it by dying on the cross for it. And there's one point in the book of Isaiah where it talks about the suffering servant, and it says the chastisement for our shalom was put upon him. So in other words, he gets all of our unraveling fracture, and in exchange, he gives us and the world his peace. And when Jesus hung up on the cross, what was going on? The unraveling of shalom. Jesus was literally unraveled physically as his body was split apart. He was unraveled emotionally when he said, when he sweat great drops of blood. He, he unraveled from God when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took the vandalism of shalom so that he might give us peace and peace to the world. And this is what he does as our king. And this is what Isaiah is talking about. Now, isn't this a beautiful picture? But the question is, how do we, what do we do with it now? I mean, this is a beautiful image, you know, lion laying down with the lamb, this king coming into the world to make everything right, mending the fabric. How does that change our lives tomorrow? Well, let me just give you a couple things. First of all, this is a vision about the future. This is something that we need to wait for. But the question is, are we waiting for it? I was talking to my wife the other day, and we were looking at this passage. And she said, you know, it's funny, Brent, you know, I, this glorious vision about the peace in the world, I hardly ever think about that when I'm changing diapers. But she says, maybe I should. Maybe most of the problems we have in life is because we forget the ultimate future. Maybe we're too short-sighted. And maybe our lives get derailed when we forget where the world is going. And so are you keeping this vision in your mind on a daily basis? It's going to help you. It's going to help you keep going. But then finally, this is the thing that I kept on thinking about this week, is in some ways we could bring this future shalom into our present. Because listen, wherever King Jesus rules, there is peace. Wherever the Messiah has his way, there is shalom. And so here's the question for you and me. Are we inviting the good reign of Jesus into our own lives? Because a family where King Jesus rules experiences shalom. And a city where King Jesus rules experiences shalom. And a person where Jesus reigns supreme experiences harmony. Are you letting the peaceable king rule in your life? One more thing. Uh, during Christmas time, there's always a lot of previews for movies, and one of them is Star Wars. And previews give you a little foretaste of what's to come. And when we live our lives under the rule of Jesus, under the wise, uh, evil-eradicating, redemptive, humble rule of Jesus, we become a foretaste, we become a preview of what's in the future. Let's pray.